This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast Show. 636. We always want to end every relevant conversation with a request for a referral. So if somebody says they love what you're doing, they'd love to support you, but they're not in a position to invest, just say, hey, no problem. Do you happen to know anyone else who is interested in getting double-digit returns, you know, backed by real estate? You know, let me know. So I ended every single conversation when I first got started 10 years ago with a request for a referral. And I did that for 18 months consistently. What's going on, everyone? This is David Green, your host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here today with another Seeing Green episode. In today's show, I will be taking questions from different people that have submitted them. And <clears throat> Rob, is that you? You know, I don't know why you always make me sit through all the Seeing Greens and like you don't ever let me talk. So I thought today, uh, would be the first seeing green where maybe we sh- we change it up a bit. Is are you cool with that? I've got, I've got some questions, and it, they all revolve around the idea of raising money. I call it seeing green because I want you to see me, not to actually speak and be heard. But I suppose since you're here and you've already jumped in, it's not much I can do about that, is there? <laughs> nope. We're here. We're here. We got a really good episode for everybody at home. We are interviewing Amy Majuri, who is a master at raising private equity. And she's got this very amazing framework that we get into very tangible steps on how you can go out into the world and raise money, not just from friends and family, but total strangers out in the wild. I think this was a really impressive thing. You know, she really kind of broke down a lot of the objections that I had, which is, well, if you don't go to friends and family, like who can you actually raise money from? And she gives us a lot of stories that really, you know, kind of opened my eyes a little bit. So this is going to be something that we're committed to teaching here on the podcast because I know raising money is a very scary and very intangible thing to learn about because everybody tells you how to do it, but there aren't necessarily tangible steps. So we're going to actually be making this into a four-step, uh, I guess, or a four-part series, if you will. And uh, it'll, you know, the first two episodes are going to air here. And today we're going to be covering the foundation needed to go out and raise private money. So with that, can you kick us off with a quick tip and then we'll jump right in? Yeah, today's quick tip, go to biggerbrockets.com slash RE show. This is for the various podcasts we have. And if you go there, you will find various free goodies, including a masterclass by Brandon Turner himself on building your personal brand and some information that will help you on your capital raising journey from today's guest, Amy Missouri. So check that out. And in fact, I would even recommend to randomly check it out every once in a while and see what free stuff Bigger Pockets might have put out there for you. A little bit of an Easter egg that you can go find even when it's not Easter. Are we still giving away the sign, your signed headshots? On there, do you know, or we discontinue that? Well, there's been a lot of demand for the like the boy band style poster of me with my shirt off and some hearts floating over my head. Um, I'm, I haven't decided if I'm going to offer those on Bigger Pockets or if I'm going to sell them as part of a uh, like a charity type event because they're worth so much money. So stay tuned for that. All right. Well, you can find David in this month's Tiger Beat. What's that? I don't know. Do you know what that is? <laughs> <laughs> okay well, well yeah that's uh, one of those old like magazines where that hansen and like you oh, know the yeah. mbop crowd that's where they would feature right. them uh okay well well you can find david in this month's tiger beat but until then let's jump in the great green tiger passive income without the property headache it's possible there's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The Wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. 
but he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You've heard us talk about it before. High interest rates are crushing real estate investors, leaving even some of the best investors in need of funding now. But with today's liquidity crisis, who can fill the demand? With Fundrise, America's largest direct-to-investor alternative asset manager, you have the opportunity to. Fundrise's new opportunistic private credit strategy was designed specifically for this new market environment. Fundrise supplies high-demand bridge financing on high-quality assets with creditworthy borrowers. Top real estate investors get the funding they need while you walk away getting paid a healthy interest rate. To date, Fundrise has completed more than $500 million worth of private credit deals with an average net interest of 10.8%, and they've already amassed a pipeline worth more than $300 million. Don't sit on the sidelines. You can take advantage of this unique window of opportunity while it lasts with Fundrise's new private credit strategy. Ready to start? Go to Fundrise.com pockets to learn more. That's F-U-N-D-R-I-S-E dot com slash pockets. This is a paid endorsement for Fundrise. Past performance is not indicative of future results. All investments can lead to loss. Amy Majeri, welcome to the Bigger Pockets podcast. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you very much for having me. It is our pleasure. Now, you have a, a sort of fascinating take on how people can make money in real estate. And I suppose it's something that everyone would be better off to learn, but especially new people don't understand the power of it. So I'm excited to hear uh, your platform, your framework, your story today. But can we start off by hearing what your portfolio looks like now and then a little bit about your background? Yeah, absolutely. You know, my background is very traditional. Um, my portfolio these days is very diverse. <laughs> I've been investing in real estate over the last 10 years. And um, during that time, you know, because of my ability to raise capital, I've raised you know, millions of dollars in private money, um, I now have the opportunity to pick and choose what deals I want to invest in. So as a brand new real estate investor 10 years ago, I started out heavily um, in fix and flips in downtown Chicago, um, in the high-end market, wholesaling like a lot of other investors. And then I started to slowly grow my passive income portfolio, um, made a couple of um, risky investments, uh, lost it all, had to rebuild. And now the majority of my portfolio is investing investing passively into commercial syndications. And then I still fix and flip it on a much larger scale here in Austin, Texas. Awesome. And how on earth did you get started to get to this point? You know, I had no idea what I was doing 10 years ago. I was that person sitting at home watching HGTV and all the DIY channels. And I knew that Real estate was something I wanted to do as a side hustle. That was it. While I pursued what I thought was my dream job at Nike. And I am a perfectionist. I'm very type A competitive personality. So I didn't want to 
try to figure out on my own. Um, I wanted that fast track to success, even though my goal was only two to three flips, you know, that year. So I invested in a coaching program. Um, and then the rest is really history. What was the coaching program focused on any one thing? Like, was it flipping? And that's why you went, that's why you started there? It was everything from A to Z in your real estate business. So building a team, interviewing general contractors, outsourcing, systematizing contracts, analyzing deals, marketing for deals. So everything, I guess, you would need to be a well-rounded real estate investor. So give us a, an idea of, you know, you, you do this, you get started, you start doing the, the flipping. And th- you also said that you did high-end as well in the Chicago market, I believe. Did you immediately start flipping high-end homes or is it just sort of like a general progression to get to that point? That is such a good question because this comes up all the time. Um, I never knew I was good at raising money. This is something that always came very easy to me. Earlier, I said my goal was two to three flips just as a side hustle. And the reason... I really fell into the luxury market was because what I had found is during my first six months of investing, I was much more um, calculated and low risk because I focused on the low dollar one bed, one bath condos in downtown Chicago. It's always the same thing. Kitchen, bathroom, flooring, paint, kitchen, bathroom, flooring, paint. Um, We never had to worry about any of the other big ticket items. Well, I started to talk to my acquisitions manager and we realized there was a huge um, market that hadn't been tapped into in the north side of Chicago because of the high dollar price points, right? Everyone's going to the middle income price point. So it was very saturated with, you know, quote unquote competitors. And so I took a step back and I said, Hey, I'd raised all this money on accident. So fine. I'm not scared of the price points. I'm just going to jump right into the luxury market. So that's kind of how it started. Nobody was going there and every property I put an offer in on, it kept getting accepted. <laughs> that's awesome. So, okay. So you, you start. Well, actually, I wanted to ask something really fast as a follow-up. You said you had an acquisitions manager. Generally, a lot of people don't particularly have that at the very beginning. That's something that is added to a team. Describe that role. Is that someone that you actually hired? Was it someone that was hired on a per-deal basis? How did that arrangement work? That is a phenomenal question. So I'm going to go right into coaching mode. So a lot of newbies newbies will, will be like, I don't have a team. I can't do this or I can't do that. And I take a step back and I say, everyone has a team, whether you know it or not. So for me, when I refer to an acquisitions manager in year one, that's just a fancy way of referring to my realtor, right? So my realtor, the majority of my deals came through the MLS Um, And they still do and through networking. And I had a couple of different realtors that I worked with. My realtors also happened to be investors themselves. So they wore two hats. They would analyze the deals for me because they were investors before they even brought them to me, um, whether they were pocket listings or MLS listings. I love when that happens. At this point, I think David and I have talked about acquiring houses and like luxury houses. And I get realtors that send me deals all the time and they'll even do the comps for me. They'll show me the comps in the area and they'll say, Hey, here's what I think it's going to make. Here's the cash on cash return. And it's always like, okay, there's a significantly higher chance. I'm going to work with someone who does the work before I even ask for it. So that's that's always nice to hear. Totally. Yeah. And that's something we don't want to do, you know, right off the bat. Like we want to make sure our realtors or acquisitions managers or whatever know that we have a vested interest, right? Do a couple deals with them. They will gladly fill out your deal analyzer. Just educate them on how it works and be like, look, I want to make um, our decision-making process as easy as possible. If you can fill this out, it takes two minutes and then send it to me. I'll let you know yes or no within, you know, 24 hours, whether or not it's going to work. 
Sure, sure. And you kind of mentioned you, uh, you quote unquote, accidentally raised this money, which you, most of the time we're working, we're working to raise money. And so, you know, I'm kind of curious when you're embarking on this whole journey of going the, the raising money route, how are you able to, uh, I guess, prove yourself? You know, I, I don't know. Did you have a, a, like a, a track record of success before you, you know, raise this money or was it something specific that, you know, that you were able to pitch to them that, that really got them on board? Yeah. You know, it's crazy. I didn't have a track record. I mean, I started raising money on my second deal and, um, we all have strengths and weaknesses, right? I am terrible at marketing, all aspects of marketing, but I'm just very good at building rapport and trust with people. And that's what raising capital is. You're building relationships, you're leveraging off existing relationships from your inner circle, your outer circle. But the way you get these individuals to ultimately invest with you is through um, confidence. And that confidence comes through your education. So you're con constantly educating them on who you are, what you're doing, what's in it for them, what's in it for you, what are the risks, are there guarantees? Like I have 15 different credibility pieces that I'll take my prospective lenders through. Um, sometimes after three, they commit to the deal. Sometimes after 15, they don't commit to the deal. So it's just educating them on your standard process. Amy, what do you say, how much weight would you give to someone's ability to articulate themselves well or their strength in communication when it comes to raising money as opposed to just being good at finding a deal and good at real estate investing? Yeah, that's a phenomenal question. Um, when you have the right people in your network, whether it's coaches, mentors, or systems and scripts that, you know, and I'll give you guys some, but that you want to start to create yourselves. Um, anybody can get out there and raise money. So sure, it came very easy for me. And people will always ask, well, it's easy for you because you relied on your friends and family members. And and I didn't because I'm stubborn. Plus, they weren't supportive. And when they heard that, they would say, oh, it's easy for you because you just bought a list. I've never bought a list. So having scripts and systems um, really gives you guys, and even coaches and mentors, the confidence to get out there and raise money the right way from the right people because you will turn people away. Um, regardless of your experience, regardless of your liquidity, right? We're always being told we got to have skin in the game. I'm actually going to squash that today. And then regardless of um, whether you're doing this part-time or full-time. So before we get into sort of your system, can you share some tips that you may have for people who are not as strong of a communicator, even if they have the information in their mind? Yeah, sure. It's a step-by-step -step process. For So whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, um, the very first thing you want to do is make this mindset shift. And we really want to believe that we are providing others with an opportunity to exist. I hear all too often, um, I feel bad asking this person for money. I don't want them to think that they're doing me a favor. Have you guys ever heard that? All the time. All the time. Yep. Right. And so I just say, hey, look, once you have a strict buying criteria, once you believe in what you're doing, then you really are going to believe that you're providing others with an opportunity. That's step one. So making that mindset shift, because if you don't believe in what you're doing, you're not going to have success raising capital. And then what you want to do is just plant seeds. So I always say, hey, the minute you leave your house, anyone you encounter is a prospective private money lender. So we can go through this now or later, but I have a four second power pitch. And that's gonna be step one for every single person, whether they're new or experienced, um, to explain at a high level what they do to start to capture the interest of prospective private money lenders. Yeah, let's let's yeah. start with that. I mean, uh, let's do it, yeah. 
Okay, cool. So, um, you know, keeping in mind that raising capital is rapport-based lending. So this four-second power pitch uh, is something that I chose to implement 24-7, um, even when I was working, you know, my full-time J-O-B, which was a very demanding corporate job with Dell Computers. So I was working for them. I'm trying to figure out this real estate, you know, business slash side hustle. And I made the decision to say, hey, if this four-second power pitch risks me getting fired, which it didn't, I'm okay with that. So you guys decide what makes you comfortable. So anytime I would encounter somebody new and they would ask me what I did for a living, or even if I came across an old friend or family member and they would ask me what I'd been up to, I would drop these 13 words on them, which is I show people how to earn double digit returns backed by real estate. And then I would, I would put it back on them. It's so great to meet you. What was it that you said that you do again? Or it's so good to see you again. It's been a while. So we're purposely dangling that carrot so that they want to ask us for more information. So now, did you find yourself using variation? I mean, because, you know, that's a, it seems like a very powerful, you know, set of words here. But did you have to really accommodate for every specific, you know, uh, I guess, conversation? Or did you always, wait, like, sort of drive the conversation to that point and then drop those 13 words? That's such a great question, and it's the latter of the two. Very rarely would I take this specific script and tailor it. Um, now, there are times where investors have approached me, and they're very uncomfortable implementing this four-second power pitch because they think to themselves, Amy, what if somebody doesn't even ask me what I'm doing? What am I supposed to do? Go up in there and be like, hey, this is what I do. You know, that's not going to flow smoothly. And I'm like, no, I know. So it's all about the law of reciprocity, right? I, I use an example about my Uber driver, Larry, who was a retired physician who I converted into a private money lender. And he never asked me what I was doing. So eventually I asked him what he did outside of Uber, so that he would naturally ask me what I do so I could drop the four second power pitch on them. But what about you guys? Like, what have you found? Because I know you've raised capital before. You know, at this point, I have the, you know, a platform myself and I, so does David. And uh, people typically reach out. Like I have an investment form at the bottom of every single one of my YouTube videos. And it just asks questions like, you know, what are you looking to invest in? What kind of project do you want? A single family acquisition, new construction, treehouse, wacky, everything in between development. And I let people sort of choose their own adventure because, you know, depending on how I'm feeling, because, you know, I, I pursue different types of real estate projects every single day. It's not always the same thing. So if I'm feeling a treehouse build, for example, like that is the that'll be the investor that I reach out to first. In conversation, it's always a little tough to to bring up. So I, I can see like the benefit of this in general, like having a, I guess like a, a phrase that you can use to work into it because generally speaking, most people in my realm and my day to day, they aren't in real estate. And so I typically try not to talk about real estate as to not bore them because <laughs> I'm always the guy that talks about Airbnb too much. And they're always like, we get it. You Airbnb, and I'm like, all right, all right, all right, I'll, I'll bring it back. Or my wife, you know, hey, that's enough, that's enough. Well, I guess to the both of you, um, I assume you have found, though, that those individuals who have nothing to do with real estate may also serve as good private money lenders down the road, right? So we don't have to always target other real estate professionals. Oh, yeah, sure, for sure. I mean, I look, this this is like my my genuine belief here. 
I believe that you should put yourself out there in any capacity and talk about what you're doing. And that's why I always, you know, I feel like I have to restrict talking about real estate because I do talk about it a lot. And I know in talking about it a lot, I'm going to be talking about my successes a lot, you know, and talking about the things that I do day to day. And by educating people on what I do and that I'm pretty good at it and that I'm pretty passionate at it, that's when the conversation of investing with me will typically come up because they're like, well, how do I get involved in this? You know, I don't know anything, but I do have money. And that's where you can really strike up the conversation. So for me, when I'm working with a possible private money lender or anything like that, it's all about just putting myself out there and educating them on who I am and why I like doing what I do. And that typically opens the floodgates for me. I would say from my side, I rarely ever look for private money. That just isn't something I do as much. I typically invest my own money more. So when I do borrow money from people, I make it super simple. I just pay them a straight interest rate to, to for the time I have their money. And then when we pay it back, the payments stop. So I don't have to really look to initiate conversations in that direction. But what you said earlier is 100% true where you can steer people into asking you the question that you want them to by asking them that same question. The majority of human beings do not lead in most areas of life. They don't lead in relationships. They don't lead in business. They don't lead in conversations. They wait for somebody else to set a tone and then they try to jump on board with what that person's tone is. So if you can be in that five to 10% of people that can say like what you said, so what do you do for work? Oh, I do this. Very high chance they're gonna come back and say, what do you do? And that's something I've learned if I wanna bring real estate into a conversation, which as a real estate broker, as a mortgage broker, as a real estate investor, I'm, I always want the conversation to go that road if possible. It's very easy. You just ask them those questions. So what are some of your favorite ways to make money? Or what are your plans for retirement? And if you just throw that out enough times, they're going to come back and say, what's your plan for retirement? <laughs> no, absolutely. And the better we are at raising money, the more confident we will be, the more we can start to, um, you know, diversify these conversations and scripts if you need a script, right? Um, because you'll be able to just you know, really wing it because you're so confident in who you are and what you do. However, you guys both mentioned something that's very, very powerful that I want to just touch on briefly. You both said that you don't seek out your private money lenders more than the more than likely they're the ones seeking you out. And that is could not be. That's very, very true. You know, there are a lot of people who will say, um, Hey, you know, I got an email from this person. They want to deploy $500,000 or somebody's telling me they want to be a private money lender. Like we all get those messages on LinkedIn, right? Hey, I'm a private money lender. Fill out this application. I'm going to lend you 70% of ARV at 7% annualized, right? So um, I just really want to reemphasize that, yes, 95% of the time, we are the ones seeking out private money lenders. So for the sake of this conversation to everyone listening, what we're not talking about today is hard money because technically that's private equity. That's not what we're talking about. We are not talking about somebody brokering a deal. Nothing's wrong with that. I broker deals. And we're not talking about banks, even the investor-friendly credit unions and community banks, right? So we're going to be seeking out everyone and anyone else, anyone and everyone who's got cash or assets collecting dust, such as our Uber drivers, our neighbors, people at airports, people on airplanes, um, people, if you go to church, if you participate in sports, it's literally anyone. So try to remember how to differentiate between what we are and are not targeting. Yeah. So let me let me clarify here because, you know, 
like if we're talking about like David's method, which I know he does this a lot where he says, hey, you invest with me, I'll give you a 10%, I guess, interest on the money that you invest with me. Uh, and I believe that's uh, not, I, th- I think it's just a, a straight, simple interest. Is that, would that not be hard money simply because of the technicality that there wasn't an intermediary that was facilitating that deal that kind of works with the fund of, you know, hard money, uh, I guess, investors? What makes that, what makes David style uh, private money versus hard money, I guess, since he is more in the 10% camp? Yeah. So really the, what you're offering, uh, whether it's 10% annualized or I offer 12% annualized and no points, I have found that that doesn't matter. What determines, what differentiates us between hard money and private money is we are not a private financial institution. We may have an LLC that we're doing these deals under. That doesn't matter. Um, but we are really targeting, um, anyone and everyone else. I mean, you can even charge 12% annualized in two points, and that's still not going to make David, for example, a hard money lender. Um, I, I can see how it can be argued both ways, though, because he's setting the standard, he's dictating the terms. Um, but for example, David, you're not compliant or regulated by the SEC, I'm assuming, right? So that's another big uh, mm. factor that differentiates us between us and hard money. Yeah, I'll, in general, hard money is a blanket. Okay, so it's it's really more the banking system that makes it. Also, the fact hard money is a blanket term that is used to describe loans that are secured by a hard asset. So if you give someone a loan and their credit card collection secures it, or like in a, in a sense, like a car note is a form of a hard money loan. When we use it in our vernacular of real estate investing, what we're talking about is, like Amy said, uh, institution that is regulated, that is a like a f- official lender that will typically charge points on top of the interest that they pay and um, will have like closing cost fees associated with the loan that they're giving versus like when we do private money, you don't really have all of that red tape. There's no title company that's going to be involved in this. Got it. Got it. Okay. So, uh, one other thing I wanted to ask on the private money you know, because with the, you know, David just talked about all the technicalities here with the hard money and it's collateralized and all that stuff. And we don't really go through that whole process with private money. So when you're going to an investor and you're striking it up and then you agree on your terms, is it typically just sort of um, solidified through a promissory note? Great question. Yeah. So I use anywhere from three to five different contracts or term sheets. It's always a promissory note summarizing the terms and conditions of our agreement. Amy promises to pay David $100,000 at a 10% annualized return backed by the property located at 123 Main Street within the next 12 months. I set up all my contracts on a 12-month note just for congruency purposes. Um, Number two, we're always going to secure their investment, right? So um, it might be, so we're going to record a mortgage so that they have that tangible asset so that we can't sell the property without their written authorization. Um, they can foreclose on us if we decide to take off, which isn't going to happen, right? Because that's not what we do. And then number three is we'll add them as a loss payee on the builder's risk insurance policy. And you said you have five to six different contracts. Is that right? Did I, did I hear that correctly? Well, sometimes, <laughs> number four, sometimes I'll throw in a personal guarantee. I don't offer it up in the beginning as a part of my standard process. However, I'm, I have signed many personal guarantees and I will sign them um, if it comes up or if it's a deal breaker. Because at the end of the day, you guys, we shouldn't be raising money if we don't know what we're doing, if we're not confident in our ability to execute on the deal. And yeah, I've lost plenty of money and I have liquidated all of my assets to pay people back out of pocket. Um, 
because I think it's the right thing to do. I've even had to put private money lenders on payment plans. Um, the opposite side of that is, hey, when you structure these deals the right way, like there are no guarantees. So contractually, they made an investment, right? I didn't have to liquidate $1.4 million of real estate in 2017 and put people on payment plans. You know, it's, but for me, I couldn't sleep at night until I knew that I had exhausted all efforts. Yeah, that makes sense. I think, you know, it's, it's a fiduciary responsibility to perform for our investors. So that, I think that's the, the way to go. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Finding rental property insurance has been a headache for the past few years. You know the feeling. You're scrambling, calling 20 different insurance agencies in a dozen different cities, struggling to protect your portfolio at the right cost. But I'm going to tell you a little secret that'll change everything. Veteran investors don't go through the everyday insurance companies. They just use NREG. NREG, that's N-R-E-I-G, provides insurance solely for real estate investors. They've built the largest insurance program in the country for residential tenant-occupied, vacant, and renovation properties. The best part? You can put all your properties on one insurance schedule and one monthly bill. And you can add, change, or remove properties without having to cancel one policy and purchase another. They insure properties from single-family rentals, up to 20-unit multifamily dwellings, vacation rentals, mobile homes, condos, and more. Trade catchy jingles for cash flow with insurance made for investors. Visit nreg.com slash bppod to request a proposal. N-R-E-I-G dot com slash B-P-P-O-D. Want to dive deep into commercial real estate, entrepreneurship, leadership, and the economy? Tune into the Walker webcast hosted by the CEO of Walker & Dunlop, one of the largest commercial real estate finance and advisory services firms in the nation. As an unparalleled leader in commercial real estate, CEO Willie Walker frequently appears as an expert on major platforms like CNBC and the New York Times. He's even been on the Bigger Pockets podcast network too. On the Walker webcast, you'll hear from guests like A-Rod, renowned economist Dr. Peter Linneman, and experts from Walker and Dunlop's capital markets, research, and investment sales groups. So fire up the Walker webcast on your favorite podcast app or join live on Wednesdays to see Willie interact with his guests. Plus, you can always catch the replay on demand afterward. Stay ahead of the curve with insights for life from the Walker webcast. Learn more and subscribe to the Walker webcast at walkerdunlop.com slash pockets. And be sure to follow Walker and Dunlop on all your favorite social media channels too. That's walkerdunlop.com slash pockets. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? 
With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. So I, I think kind of as we talk about this and the promissory note and the protections and, you know, first-time raisers and all that stuff, can we talk about some of the fears here that that are kind of floating around, especially in times like this? I mean, if you're a newbie investor, if you're kind of green or you're developing, you know, your portfolio, is there a lot of fear kind of from the investor standpoint that you have to sort of break down and, and kind of work around? I mean, I, I suppose it depends on, you know, uh, how adamant or how passionate an investor is to work with you. But, you know, what are, what are common things that, that a newbie investor might hear from a fear standpoint from the investor? Yeah, there are so many fears and objections out there. I mean, it's fear that holds all of us back, right, from taking action and from raising capital. At least that's what I found over the last 10 years. So some very common ones are, I don't have any experience. I'm brand new. Like, no one's going to lend me money. I've never done this before. So if you find yourself in that position, just remember, it doesn't matter if you've done this before because you have a team of experts who are supporting you. You have your general contractor who's been doing this for 20 years. You have your realtor, your designer, your real estate attorney. So for those of you who are new, just make sure you know how to hire a team, build a team, and then you highlight your team um, and it even introduce your team. I've had private money lenders get on the phone with my general contractors during my first year to just build their confidence in, in me and my team. I've flown them out to Chicago. So that's a common one. Um, what about you guys? Mm, I think right now, I mean, obviously, I think interest rates are are something that <laughs> that uh, that are kind of floating around, and especially in the Airbnb world right now. I mean, one one thing that I'm hearing pretty often is, you know, a lot of people are are stressing the whole idea of slow a slowdown in bookings and this and that. But I think what we're just seeing is a recalibration of normal seasonality. You know, for example, in Joshua Tree, things were just last year a phenomenal year across the board. But it isn't always a popular place to be in the summer uh, because, spoiler alert, deserts are very hot. And so now I think things are evening out and going back to you know seasonality. And so I think I, I always have to educate people and re remind them that we've been in this like crazy run for a while and like there's been a lot of money to be made. But it's not always normal. And so you can't always expect record number of years every single year because it's just not how it works, you know? So, I, I you know, for me, I think it's, it, there's always that fear, uh, especially with investors. Cause I mean, we, we talk to investors several times a week. We always just have to remind them that it's like, look, it's the, there's seasonality to take into consideration. You know, we have to budget accordingly. We have a, a pat, we have a padded bank account for emergencies and all that kind of stuff. And so it's like, we don't typically pay our investors out monthly, which a lot of investors that I work with do want that. But it's, you know, when you're, 
especially if you're investing with us on the short-term rental side, you know, we like to have reserves. And so we really try to coach our investors to work with us on that and, you know, accept a quarterly payment or a biannual payment. That way we can actually account and budget for some of the down seasons. What about you, Dave? Hmm. I think when I'm, when I do raise money, I put an emphasis on approaching the person listening from the perspective of I'm educating them because I think if they're experienced with real estate investing, you're not really having to sell them a lot. They're going to be asking you the questions. They already know what to ask. They know what to look for. So if they're hesitant or nervous, that means they don't quite understand how this works and you have to make them feel safe before they even care about the return they're going to get. So I would take the approach of teaching them what does the Burr method mean? This is how they're going to get their money back. The the method is designed to recover capital so that they can be safe and they can get their money back even if we don't sell the house. Um, if it's a long distance thing, I would give them the long distance real estate investing book and I'd say, this is a book that shows exactly what I'll be doing. I'll be putting a core four together. That means I'll have a lender, a contractor, an agent, and a property manager that will be handling these components of the deal. And I'd have like a little diagram that showed property manager and this is what they do and lender. And this is what they do. I'd make it very simple. And then I'd even probably like leave them with some resources. If they wanted to learn more, Hey, read this book. I'll, I'll let you keep it or something like that. No one's going to read an entire book before they give you money. But the fact that they can see that this is like a documented thing, this is not just you fly by night, throwing something around will make most people feel better. So I'm lazy in this sense, and I'm always looking for how do I use resources that someone else has already made to support what I'm going to do, right? Like an article out of Bigger Pockets or a book from Bigger Pockets or a podcast episode that talks about this. I'm much more likely to give it to them. And they're going to hear the enthusiasm of the person talking. They're going to realize, oh, this is not a rare thing. Everyone does, or a lot of people do this often. So this isn't like a crazy, like, why is my nephew asking me this question? Or why is this person I just met? This is something they always do. Rob? So selfishly, this is, you know, a lot of the the videos on the Rob Built channel have come from these types of conversations where I get the same objections or the same questions over and over and over again. And I'm like, you know what? What if I made a 15 minute video that really goes in depth on the same question I get seven times a day? That way, whenever people come to me worried or they ask the question, I'm like, hey, you know what? Set up a video I've link. made this video for you. <laughs> Here you go. Please watch it and then let's chat. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I often, um, I will often tell the investors who have the element of fear holding them back. Hey, the number one reason why everyone in this country is not acting as a private money lender, assuming they're in a position to do so, is because to your point, they're simply not educated on the process. So let's just get out there and educate them. That's all it is. It's a lack of education. And in today's market, especially, I'm sure everyone's, you know, getting questioned about, you know, the economy, the market crashing. Well, None of us here can predict the future, right? Sure, we're starting to see shifts. All that means is we don't exit the real estate game. We just change our strategy and we shift with the evolving market. And guess what, you guys? With inflation rates today, it's even easier to raise money today for your real estate deals than it was in the past. Inflation's north of 8%. Hey, private money lender, you have money sitting in the bank. Your bank is literally dying every day. It's sitting in your account. If somebody wants to take the time to Google, what does a bank do with my money? You're going to see that they take the money that you put in the bank and they go invest it passively into real estate. Okay. So with your framework that you have, that you teach people how to do this, where should they start? 
So I've created this four-step unique methodology called my FACT framework. And step one of that FACT framework is building our foundation. And the way we build our foundation, there are a few things that um, make it up, such as, you know, being clear on who you are and what you're doing, really knowing your role, um, having your business plans and goals in place, like understanding why you're doing this. But the key takeaway of step one, which is building our foundation, is implementing that four-second power pitch 24-7. So all we want to do as a part of building our foundation is we're not asking for anything. We're just announcing to the world who we are and what we do through that four-second power pitch. Now, we talked about the four-second power pitch earlier, and a very common follow-up question that I'll get is, hey, Amy, what if somebody is into what I'm saying and they want to know more? Now, if you're experienced, the conversation will naturally probably carry itself um, until you decide to end the conversation. For those of you who are greener investors, I have a 20-second follow-up. And I'll rattle off the 20-second follow-up, put it into your own words, fine-tune it, make it your own, and then end it there. And if they want to know more, just say, hey, I'll call you next week. We'll hop on a quick call. And if you're not sure what to do, call up one of your coaches and mentors, and they'll literally hold your hand every step of the way. The 20-second power pitch is basically someone saying, hey, that sounds great. Can you tell me more? I always respond with, yeah, you know, I'm a developer based out of downtown Chicago and you know, we're currently on target to complete, you know, 10 transactions over the next 12 months. And our investors love it because they get to kick back and relax while we do all the work and they earn, you know, double digits backed by or protect with a protected, secured and insured asset. What was it that you said that you do again? It's so nice to meet you. And then that's it. Well, what happens if, okay, so let's say you get through your 13 uh, word, your intro, you know, I teach people how to make double digits in real estate. And then they say, oh, uh, cool. And then, you know, maybe signaling that they don't necessarily want to know more. Do you just cap it off there or do you continue to drive that point? No, I'm not. I Look, I really believe I'm providing others with an opportunity. So if they want to end the conversation, I'm not going to push it on them because I really believe that that's their loss. Um, or maybe we haven't done a good job of explaining to them like who we are and what we're doing. Later through my nurture sequence, my follow-up sequence, I may choose to circle back with them. But if they're like, oh, that's amazing. You want to go grab some dinner? I'm like, yeah, sounds great. Okay, and then, cool, cool. Right. Depending on the yeah. relationship, I'll try to weave it back in in a very subtle and tactful manner. Good. Okay. That, and that's what I'm wondering. That's I asked that for all the newbies that are listening to this that you know may not have raised money. When when should one push or when should one pry or when should one go in for like the, you know, it's like the one-two hook, right? Like when should they go in for, for the, I guess, jab-jab hook, the second jab in it? Yeah. I mean, what you can always do as well, if somebody is kind of like, oh, that sounds awesome. I wish I was in a position to invest or I'd love to invest eventually. You can always say, um, because one of my strategies, you know, I think we'll talk about later, which is step two of my fat framework is, you know, how do we take action? We always want to end every relevant conversation with a request for a referral. So if somebody says they love what you're doing, they'd love to support you, but they're not in a position to invest, just say, hey, no problem. Do you happen to know anyone else? who was interested in getting double digit returns, you know, backed by real estate, you know, let me know. So I ended every single conversation when I first got started 10 years ago with a request for a referral. And I did that for 18 months consistently. 
Okay, so I want to definitely drill down a little bit more on the foundation here, but just for reference so that we understand sort of the different steps of your of your framework, can you just quickly take us through the, uh, I guess, the four sections of, of your framework? Yeah, so the foundation is step one of my fact framework. So what does that look like? Um, do you have your scripts and systems in place? Do you understand your buying criteria? Do you have your target market identified, right? So being clear, able to clearly and confidently articulate who you are and what you're doing. Um, and the main takeaway, the script is the four second power pitch. So that's the foundation. Once we've built our foundation, we've got the right mindset. We believe we're providing others with an opportunity to invest. We're consistently dropping that four second power pitch on people. Then is step two of my fact framework where we start to take action. Step two is where we start to, um, proactively connect with anyone and everyone, like coffee talks, in-person meetings. If they live out of state, then we'll schedule a Zoom session. But this is where we're starting to educate people on who we are and what we do. We're just, we're booking appointments, basically. Um, step three of my fact framework is the credibility piece. So step three is where as we're taking action and we're booking these 30-minute coffee talks, we want to make sure we have something to take to the coffee talks. We want to make sure we've got all of our credibility pieces created and customized before we start or as we're starting to take action. So we've got, because basically I use the credibility pieces as a part of our follow-up system as well. And then step four is the transactions. Hey guys, you consistently build your foundation. You take action. You've got your credibility pieces in place. Then Step four is the transactions will start to follow. And once you've converted a private money lender into investing, you want to focus on two things. What do you guys think those two things are? Uh, okay, let's see. Um, You're saying once they've already committed to giving you money? Yeah, like once they've invested with you one time, what do we want to try to get them to do in the future? We want repeat business and we want referrals. Absolutely. What does the nurture system look like, you said? Oh, no, I was just ending it with, you're absolutely right. So we want to make sure we take care of them, right? We stay in front of our audience. We keep them informed, whether it's good or bad, you guys. We're going to have change orders. We're going to fall behind our project timelines. It is very, very oh, critical to our success. Yeah, yeah proactively educate 100%. So that's an issue that we have in the different companies that I'm running with newer loan officers, newer real estate agents. Most people understand the idea of lead generation, going out and finding the next deal, finding the next person to let you borrow money. For us, finding the next person that needs a loan or the next person that needs a real estate agent. And we will work so hard to get a new customer. We'll bend over backwards. We'll do everything. Then you get them and maybe they're having a bad day and they're being pushy or rude or something goes wrong and you have to take some time out of your day to explain it. And for some reason, we resent having to do that. And then you lose the customer and you got to spend 10 times as much energy to go get the next one to start over again than if you'd put 10% of the energy into retaining the one that you had. And I, that is a very good point if you're trying to build a sustainable business is yes, you will spend a lot of energy looking for clients, but spending more energy on retaining the clients you have and then getting organic referrals coming back is such a better and more sustainable model than giving elevator pitches for the next 50 years of your life and your business never grows past the points it's at right now. Big time, big time. I mean, for us, I think we're starting to realize that strategic partners are the best partners, right? Like all of my investors have been really great. And we, we when we really first started this whole like private money raising thing, 
we were just we were talking to everybody. If they had fifty thousand, if they had a hundred thousand, it didn't matter. We were just like, let's talk to everybody. Let's get on the phone. And I think as we started to realize, you know, we really started being very selective with the investors that we worked with because we weren't looking to just have a one and done transaction. We were hoping to do multiple transactions with the same investor. And fast forward to today, we have a lot of investors that are reaching out that, you know, they 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 have larger sums of money to invest. And so we put a lot of energy into nurturing that relationship because if I could have three investors versus 30 on a single deal, not not on syndication or anything like that, that to us is going to save so much more time because you're right, David, we have to spend 10, 20, 30% more energy just making sure that that relationship is great. But it's still a lot less energy than talking to 50 people on Zoom every single week. Yeah, I agree with you. And for those of you wondering, yes, you guys, when it comes to private money, you can absolutely get 100% funding from a private money lender. Like unlike the hard money guys, right? They're not going to give us 100%. So with private money, because we set the standards, we can get 100% of our purchase price, our renovation costs, and all of our carrying costs in the form of private money. And in the beginning, sure, I would take, you know, investments from someone as little as $8,000, which I will never do again, but I did it in the beginning. I was building that list um, because for me, it just wasn't worth the time and energy. This investor happened to have ongoing questions. So make it clear if you would like that as a private money lender, you are a silent stakeholder. You don't have a say in the renovation and the design and my sales strategy. Like I will proactively keep you, keep you informed every month of what's going on and then you'll get paid back. I still tell them my standard process is I'll pay you back principal plus interest at the end of the deal at the closing table. Yeah, so I, I sort of want to dig back into foundation a little bit here because I'm really curious. I mean, I think, you know, if you're interviewing for a job, for example, they say you as an interviewee should never bring up money first. If you if you do, you've already shown your hand. So I'm sort of curious on on your end, um, when you're in the, the F stage of this, the foundation, and you say, oh, I teach people how to make double digit returns. Are we now, even in this stage, saying, let's get into the numbers, I need money, here's how much I need, or is it truly just about really developing that relationship first? Yeah, it's the latter of the two. It's really just about raising awareness and developing that relationship. So we're not going to go through any numbers or quote unquote ask for money until step three, the credibility piece, where we take them through our deal analyzer, our org chart, our target market, um, our all of our you know strategy, investment strategies, our contracts, our list of frequently asked questions, our private money presentations. So that comes on as a part of step three. Got it. Got it. So now let's get into the the, the twenty second follow up here because this this is where I'm kind of curious. If, if it stays within that F, because you said, um, oh, you know, uh, can you remind us of the 20, the 20 second follow up? Yeah, the 20 second, the it, it will stay um, as the tail end of the foundation. So it's the, the end of the foundation is the four second power pitch combined with the 20 second follow up. So I like to use them simultaneously if somebody asks for more information. Um, so the 20 second power pitch again is assuming somebody likes your four second power pitch, they want to know more instead of going into a bunch of details and numbers. I just say, yeah, you know, I'm a developer based out of downtown Chicago and we currently are on target to renovate 10 properties over the next 12 months, or just tell people what your strategy is. We're going to wholesale three properties, or if you don't have a strategy, just say, 
We're on target to complete two transactions. That's fine. Just whatever your goals are. Um, and our investors love it because they get to kick back and relax while we do all the work. And they earn double-digit returns with a protected, secured, and insured asset. And then I end. that is the end of foundation. Right. So is there any amount of, just even from that follow-up, because I'm sure you get a lot of people. I mean, you, you did say earlier in your, your example, like, great, let's go have dinner and talk about it. Obviously, that would lead to action. But I imagine that most of the time they're like, wow, that's really interesting. You know, let's keep in touch. So for those types of people, when you're sort of nurturing this foundation or kind of building it up, what does that follow-up look like outside of a person-to-person, you know, in-person conversation? Well, if somebody wants to know more, then next week you begin step two of the FACT framework, which is taking action. Step one of taking action is now we're starting to preferably sit down in person or via Zoom, and you're going to start educating them on your business model. And that's always with a private money presentation. That's going to be your very first credibility piece. Even with this presentation and and everything, that would still be sort of uh, in this foundation stage. No, that's step one of taking action. So so foundation ends with the 22nd follow-up. We're done. Now, if they want to know more, we're going to start taking action. So last question. If we know that we're going into action Do you have any advice for transitions to make it easier to move from foundation into action? Yeah, because you want to have that level of confidence, especially for the newbies. Oh my God, I just got a bunch of yeses. People want to know more. This just happened at a workshop I hosted the other day. So at a minimum, make sure that you have at least, let's be a little proactive, at least one credibility piece um, ready to go. And as you're taking action and as you're meeting with more people, as you're getting creative and thinking outside the box and finding more people to meet with above and beyond your four-second power pitch, you'll have the confidence to know that you have that private money presentation ready to go so you're not going to refrain from scheduling that 30-minute coffee talk. I love it. Yeah. What I really like about this is... You know, I think a lot of people have, you know, for, for not everyone is super social, right? And it, it's like really tough to strike up a conversation with a stranger and everyone gets really nervous of, you know, small talk and like, what are we going to talk about? I don't know this guy. I don't know this chip, you know, whatever. And so I like that you sort of get into every conversation with an intention, right? You know, like, hey, what do you do? Oh, what I do is this. And I'm just kind of curious in your experience, have you had a lot of surprise investors come out, you know, in your whole life, just from random scenarios where, you know, you would never have expected it. Like, has your power pitch really been fruitful in some pretty unexpected situations, I guess is, is what I'm asking. A hundred percent of the millions and millions, well above $20 million in private money that I've raised have come from complete strangers. Um, as a result of this four-second power pitch, who I've developed a relationship with through my fact framework. I did not target friends and family, and I still don't um, because I'm stubborn, and that's a whole other story. But all of it came from random people. Oh, wow. That's cool. So that's, you know, because I think a lot of the advice out there is start in your network. Start with your friends and family. You 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 don't. So can you give us like, what what does that look like? I'm so curious because I think it, it sounds, I mean, you mentioned your Uber earlier, so I can kind of understand that. But are you going out of your way um, on a day-to-day basis to meet people and talk to them? Is that yeah. kind of part of the game here? You have to be willing to just make new connections, you know, whereas ordinarily you would probably ignore someone. 
not you personally, but a person. That is exactly right. And that is a hundred percent what step two of the fact framework is all about. Amy, you're telling me I don't have to target my friends and family members. How in the world do I get everyone else in this world to invest with me? So where do we go to find people? What do we say? What environments do we put ourselves in? So that's all we're doing is we're building our networking mind map under step two of my fact framework. That's what we're taking action to network more creatively and to build more trust and rapport with people. So another example, this is very, very calculated. And you guys, for those of you who are not comfortable doing this, the more you practice it, the easier it becomes and the less calculated it becomes. I'm on an airplane at least three times a month. Even still today, when I'm on an airplane, I will take out my laptop and purposely open it up at least one time and start scrolling through before and after photos. Because what do you guys think that's going to do? Ooh, what's that? <laughs> oh my God. Yes, this really is my project. No, I don't work for somebody else. It's my company. I'm also passive aggressive in case you can't tell. But exactly, it's capturing the interest of the people next to me, right? Which allows me to go into that four second power pitch. So it's, it's the exact same system every single time. What's the first thing you say to a stranger? The four second power pitch. How do you capture their attention? By getting creative and thinking outside the box. So that's just one of literally 70, 70 different strategies that I have. That's awesome. David, I think you said that on airplanes, you'll open up your laptop and just watch videos of yourself on Bigger Pockets YouTube, right? That various gym post workout selfies, um, accolades and awards that I've received for various things. I like to like max you pull out all of your awards and put them on the little table. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. I, ha you know what, I have actually kind of done. Like I've edited my own videos on airplanes, and I'm, but I don't like. I always turn it away because I don't want people to think that I'm just like watching videos of myself. Because uh, I already do that. I mean, they they just loop at home, but on an airplane, I'm. I'm you know, I want to get your it. thought, Amy. This is a good point question, Rob. I swear airplanes have a different dynamic than everything else in the world, okay? I could go to Walmart. I could go to Home Depot. Nobody knows who I am. I don't get recognized ever. The second I'm in an airport, I get people recognizing me, wanting to take pictures. If you're on the plane, even more so, people will walk by and they'll do that double take. I haven't quite figured out what it is that makes people recognize other people on airplanes, but I just flew back from Long Beach uh, two days ago and I'm walking out of the bathroom, like just basically zipped up and some guy goes, David Green. And I just assumed, oh, you must have been at my meetup, right? You probably flew in for the same thing. Hey, talk to him for a little bit. Then I sit down on the plane. He's the guy I'm sitting next to. Didn't go to the meetup. Had no idea that I was even there. Just happened to be a person that likes bigger pockets. Uh, lo and behold, he's actually working with one of our team members to buy a house in Sacramento. So shout out, Derek, if you're listening to this. But I just thought like that doesn't happen anywhere else. But the minute I get in an airport, all of a sudden, A, people recognize you or B, they're open to conversations they don't have at any other time. It's like, you're the guy I'm sitting next to on the plane, so I have to listen to you tell me all about your your cryptocurrency dreams or your dog walking business that you want to start or like whatever it is, you just read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and like I'm going to hear about it for the next two and a half hours on the plane. Can you share what you think makes that happen on an airplane so we could possibly recreate that in other scenarios intentionally? That is so funny because that happens to me, but not on airplanes. So that I that has yet to happen to me 
on an airplane or at an airport. Very seldom, but consistently, people will recognize me because I did a four-part series with HGTV. So I would actually, Rob, any insight? If you can crack that code, let us know, sir. <laughs> you know, it is always at the airport, isn't it? That's always, it's always, uh, yeah, it is, David. That's so true. I, you know what? And it's always, um, I'm at this point now where like it happens every so often and it's always at an airport, but no one's ever around. So I'll go to my wife and I'll be like, babe, someone, someone recognized me from bigger pockets. And she's like, sure. And I'm like, I swear, I swear. Uh, no, I don't know. I think it's just, it's, it's, there's kind of like two people on an air, two types of people on an airplane, the people that want to talk and the people that don't want to talk. I used to be the former. I always love chatting with the person next to me. And now airplanes are kind of my sanctuary because I typically will fly with my, with my kids and my wife. There's, two kids. They're one and two. And it gets very, very crazy. So when I get to travel on an airplane alone, I'm like, oh man, this is first class for me. You know, it's pure peace and quiet. But I I really like the advice here, honestly, just because I think whether you're raising uh, money from friends or family or not, there's some pretty actionable steps here. I think there's a lot of ways to get your yourself out there. For me, when I was first starting my short-term rental journey, I was posting it on Facebook, on Instagram, you know, just everything that I was doing. And it's cool. It's a cool thing. I was really proud. And people were like, tell me more about that. And that's how I was connected with people in my network. You're saying, go out and meet people out in the wild and tell them what you do. Put yourself out there. Make chit chat. Be uncomfortable and establish a connection there. And it can be a very fruitful thing that leads to seven figures of, of fundraising. And, you know, for me, I'm a content creator and I put myself out there on the internet every single every single day, every single week. And because I do that and because I teach people how to do it and because I love it and I educate them, the the credibility, which I'm sure we'll get into later, is instantly set and people will email me and offer me money and they don't even know me. So that's another form. Like you don't have to even do either of these two things. You could just make content online and talk about what you do and love and show that you love this stuff. And you'd be surprised at the amount of people that reach out. You're stealing my thunder. That's all a part of taking action. I love it. Oh, oh, okay. All right. Well, it's a good preview for the next one. We got we got a, a couple more episodes of this. So, All right. That is fantastic. And I think that is a good point to wrap up part one of this segment on building a foundation with potential private money lenders. Uh, Amy, thank you very much for sharing what you did. This is really good. Uh, everyone listening, if you continue listening, episode two will be airing next as Amy gets into the next step in her process. Uh, I'm excited to see what you have to say here. This is David Green for Rob Delusions of Aviation Grandeur Abasolo signing off. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom and the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and bam! Instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals.
Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.